Our scripture text comes from the book of Ephesians, the third chapter. So a continuation of what we heard last week from chapter 2. This begins right in the middle. It's smack dab in the middle of the book. And so there is a conversation that's been going on for a couple of chapters. So at least let me tell you this right before we start. What, we're, what he's been talk, Paul has been talking about is the mystery of Christ. Let's just start there. May God bless to our hearing and understanding the words of Scripture. This is the reason that I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. For surely you have already heard of the commission of God's grace that was given me for you. And how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I wrote above in a few words, a reading of which will enable you to perceive my understanding of the mystery of Christ. In former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is... The Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body and sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I have become a servant according to the gift of God's grace that was given me by the working of his power. Although I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to bring the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ and to make everyone see what is plain, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the wisdom of God in its rich variety might, be, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places this was in accordance with the eternal purpose that he has carried out in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have access to God in boldness and confidence through faith in him. I ask, therefore, that you may not lose heart over my sufferings for you. They are for your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just before the service, somebody asked me, now, you're preaching from Ephesians 3, 1 through 13? Yes. Well, I read it this morning, and I didn't understand a thing. I said, well, let's see if we can help that situation. Let's pray. God, send your Holy Spirit upon us to be our teacher and guide as we explore your sacred word in our midst, and hear what you are saying to your church this day. In Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. Now, I wish I could say at the beginning of this preaching moment that by the end of this sermon you will completely understand the mystery of Christ and be able to apply that mystery practically in three easy steps. I wish I could say this. Because that's what preaching is about, isn't it? Unraveling the esoteric mysteries of, of Scripture so that we common folks can understand it and live it out, right? 
Unfortunately, Scripture isn't always as clear. And let's take a look at the mo- one of the moments that Jesus preached. Think about the time when Jesus told a story about a sower who scattered some seeds on dry, dusty soil, and some among the weeds and the thorns, and some along the path, and then some on good soil. And then Jesus tells them all about how some of those seeds were doomed from the start, being dried up by the sun, choked by the weeds, eaten up by birds, and trod upon by passers-by. But the one sown in good soil grew up strong and produced so much yield, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And then Jesus stopped his sermon and said, whoever has ears, listen, and walked away. And all the people, even Jesus' closest disciples, just sat there scratching their heads saying, okay, let me get this right. The point of this is, um, Jesus, Jesus. But Jesus was off to other things. Now, eventually, he had to fill the disciples in on their request, at their request, on what he was preaching about with the sower and the seeds. And they were very appreciative of his explanation. Let the word of God be sown in you. Be good soil. Have faith and produce good fruit. Three points neatly put together and all wrapped up. But as you know, every once in a while, when Jesus was asked, why do you speak to the crowds in parables? He said, you know what? You know why? Why I speak to the crowds in parables? It's so that they won't understand their hearts being hard and their ears being stopped. I speak in mysteries so that they won't repent and be forgiven. Now, (laughs) now that kept those disciples on their toes, trying to figure out what was Jesus up to? Did he say that he preaches so that no one will understand? I think we're still pondering the mysteries of Christ and his preaching, his teaching. But our modern preaching, we think it's supposed to be. What do we think it's supposed to be when Jesus can sometimes can be so confusing? And we don't always, scripture doesn't always lend itself to three points and a poem. Now, as Recently as last week, I asked a group of our men here at the church, our men's breakfast. I sent the question out ahead of time, and I said, let's talk about this. What counts for good preaching to you? How do you know when you've heard a good sermon? And what is a sermon supposed to be anyway? And the first and most common response was, well, a sermon needs to be relevant, okay? And the second top top response was, well, a sermon needs to have a practical application. And the third was, I need to feel like the sermon was directed just at me. Personal address. I need something personal that I can take with me for the week, something to chew on, to mull over, something that gets me thinking. What I was hoping for beyond those responses was something like, 
I want to hear the gospel proclaimed in such a way that it feels like the kingdom of God is erupting on the scene right here and right now. I want to hear the gospel that proclaims, that says God loves you so much that God sent his only son into the world that whosoever believeth in him might live. God sent his son not to condemn the world, but the world might be saved through him. This God loves even me and calls me to love God in return and to love my neighbor as God loves me, I want to feel this gospel as a fire in my bones. Amen. Amen. Pastor, can you do that? <laughs> it's a tall order, truly. Yet that is what God is up to while the preacher seeks to preach about the mysteries of Christ in such a way that it meets the basic criteria of relevance, practicality, and personableness. I don't even think that word, the computer didn't like that word, but so maybe it's made up, but personableness, I like it for today. All right. With such a preamble, that, that was just the preamble, okay? <laughs> With such a preamble attended to, let's proverbially take off our shoes and tread upon the sacred grounds of Scripture. In the letter to the Ephesians, we hear the author Paul say, the whole reason that I go to such extremes to do what I do is to, and to risk imprisonment and bodily harm is so that you might hear and understand the mystery of Christ. You've heard it before, but I think you need to hear it again. This message permeates chapter 3 of Ephesians, and Paul goes on, if you weren't taking notes, I spoke about the mystery of Christ above, which means in the first two chapters. Now, so that I can explain to you the mystery of Christ, I scoured those first two chapters to gain a glimpse of at what Paul could possibly have meant. Here we go. Here are the top 10 mysteries of Christ in the first two chapters. I hope you're taking notes. There will be a quiz later. If not now, at the pearly gates. Okay, here we go, folks. Number one, mystery of Christ. We are chosen in Christ by God before the foundation of the cosmos in, in love. God destined, number two, God destined us to be children of God through Jesus Christ, through whom we have redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of trespasses by grace. Three, with wisdom and understanding, God has made known to us the mystery of his will to gather up all things in heaven and earth unto himself. In Christ we have an inheritance so that we might live for the praise of God's glory and on account of our salvation and the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. Five, God has put to work immeasurable power in Christ, raising him from the dead and seating him on the right hand of, uh, as ruler of all for all ages to come. Six, we were once dead. Now we are alive in Christ. By grace we have been saved through faith and we have been raised with Christ. And this is not of our own doing, but God's. We were once aliens, strangers to the covenant, having no hope. But by Christ's blood we have been brought close, 
8, God has eradicated the deep divide between Jews and Gentiles, making both one in Christ, reconciling all humanity to one another and to God through the cross of Christ. 9. We are no longer strangers, but citizens with the saints, members of one household, having access to God, the Father, and eternal life through one spirit. 10. God has made Jesus Christ the cornerstone of a new household so that the whole structure of which might grow together into one holy temple. We are built together into the dwelling place of God through the same spirit. Amen. There's your top 10 mysteries of Christ. I hope that is sufficient to explain everything we need to know with personableness, practicality, and relevance. Thanks be to God. Amen. Uh, all right. Let's do a little more. The apostle wrote this letter so that he could have focused, in writing his letter, he could have focused on arcane mysteries of Christ, like how exactly the incarnation worked and rank on rank of angels sang. He could have told us all about the virgin birth and how that, how that all came about, or how it is that the eternal divine logos of God came out vast as the cosmos could fit into a tiny human frame or how it is that Jesus could step out onto the surface of the water and approach the disciples as if he were on dry ground. Paul doesn't even begin to approach the mystery of how 10,000, 10 million angels could dance on the head of a pin. What mysteries have we missed? No, Christ has done, Paul has done something so much more important. He speaks of salvation grace, hope, and love. When we are faced with all the deep mysteries of Scripture and faith, we often say, I just want to know, how is it that we are to make it through one more day in this world of chaos? How are we supposed to get along with our neighbors who have stopped talking to us? How are we supposed to go on living when someone we love is no longer here? How are we supposed to prepare our kids to live happy, healthy, successful lives when it feels like the whole world is going to H-E double toothpicks in a little Toto dog carrying handbasket? The mystery of Christ. Simply put, the gospel is no trivial matter that floats above our head like a child's balloon out of reach. The Apostle Paul staked his whole life on the gospel that claimed him, the gospel that shaped his every waking moment and his sleeping moments too. The gospel set his path for life, facing every hardship that brought him seemingly closer to death every moment so many times, but brought Paul closer to life and to God. The great mystery of Christ is that God loved the world so much that he reached across the great divide into this life 
with his own very life through Jesus Christ who taught and healed, who willingly gave his life for us and who by miraculous power God brought back from the dead. And what does this mean for us practically, pertinently, and personally? Sure, I know that God loves the whole cosmos, but does God really love me? I have insurmountable problems here and now. And the greatest problems we're facing in our society right now all center around this. We are alienated from one another. We are lost in our estrangement, mistrusting our neighbors. Fear, anxiety, dread, grief, shame, loss, and hopelessness. How could we ever be reconciled one to another? It just seems impossible. But this is not humanity's first go around with these questions. The Apostle Paul says that what God has done in Jesus Christ so long ago is to reconcile us one to another. Paul says it this way, those dreaded outsiders, the Gentiles, have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And this was done in accordance with the eternal purpose that God has carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have access to God in boldness and confidence through faith. Remember what Paul named earlier in the letter as one of the mysteries of Christ? God has eradicated the deep divide between Jews and Gentiles, making both one in Christ, reconciling all humanity one to another and to God through the cross of Christ. Therefore, we are no longer strangers, but citizens with the saints, members of one household, having access to God the Father and eternal life through the one Spirit. In love through grace, by resurrection power, through the Spirit, God has overcome the great divide. If God can see me and you as members of one household, you and your neighbor, the stranger and you, the person on the other side of the political divide, on the other side of the planet, and you as one holy dwelling place, then maybe, just maybe, the most relevant personal and practical thing we can do is learn to see this mystery of Christ in our own midst. The one whom I would rather hate, God would have me love. Of all the cosmic mysteries of Christ, the one that God would have us understand, taking hold like a fire in our bones, is that Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, God has torn down the walls of enmity and given us all access to one holy habitation. And until that day when we shall be gathered up unto God with all heaven and earth, let us all do what is in our power that God has given us, to live as if it is all true. God so loved us, so let us love one another. God makes it permissible, Christ makes it probable, and the Spirit makes it possible. Mystery solved. Let us who have ears listen.